0: Are you currently being gamed by your staff uh, and, and, and getting inaccurate measures as a result of it? Hey, I'm Justin Hitt with Inside Strategic Relations. There is a truism that what measures, you get what you measure, but very often what you measure influences the behavior of the people being measured. So we're going to talk a little bit about the psychological aspects of measuring performance, We're going to talk about who you should be measuring and a lot about why you should be measuring. And we're going to address a common issue that's associated with poor measures. And we might as well start there. It's a common mistake to measure something and then suddenly get a completely different outcome, completely wrong outcome, a completely screwed up outcome. And that very often happens because the measure itself influences behavior when measures influence behavior you will get that unexpected result so how do we get what we expect when we measure well we got to add the inspection to it so let's talk let's talk quickly the it, it, it's basic science that anything observed is changed by the observation you measure somebody in your team, you can either improve the beha- desired behavior or reduce the de- desired behavior. Measurements done correctly can retrain your staff to have different, new and different behaviors that are more productive. But often, if those measures are implemented incorrectly, it can cause staff to be demotivated and not get results. So who are we measuring here? We're measuring our salespeople. We're measuring our technical performers. We're measuring the people who assemble the products and services for customers. We're measuring the people who do our bookkeeping. As a business, if you want results, you've got to measure. Now, these measures can vary, but if you want measures that influence behavior in a positive direction, so they actually improve what you are measuring Uh, and i believe with employees or staff people you really don't need to be doing um, negative measures because if you punish people for doing things there's all kinds of laws that prevent that so what you do is you promote those people who do well and get rid of those people who do poorly now how do you know who's doing well versus who's doing poorly Well, most business owners do not have objective uh, measures. Your managers don't have objective measures. Now, we've tried. There's management by objectives. There's scorecards. There's a lot of different measures. We won't go into them here because the measures that work have three characteristics. Let's talk about how do you know if you're being gamed. Well, in a technical environment where we work, we have service tickets, and the service tickets are ranked by priority, and it always turns out that there's just a tiny amount of top priority tickets, just a little bit more of the next priority of ticket, and then about the third priority, there's a lot of those, and then a fourth priority, the the lowest priority, there's like even more, and it's kind of like a, a... pyramid. And you might be saying, well, that lo- that sounds healthy. You want many fewer high priority tickets um, than you might want low priority tickets. But here's the problem. How do you know if it's supposed to be like a pyramid? How do you know you're not having too many low priority issues? You know, a lot of low priority issues signify that maybe maintenance isn't being done. What if you have too many in the middle? Maybe you don't have a triangle. You have like a diamond shape, and there's a lot in the middle. Well, are some of those miscategorized? Are they categorized too high, and you're spending priority resources on them? Or maybe they're categorized too low, and the big bulge in the middle is because you really have more priority things coming along than non-priority. Now, this happens because of a common mistake, which is a measure that has just one characteristic, like the number of times something fails. If you have a maintenance contract on a large facility and the, maybe you're managing a 15 or 20 air conditioning units and you're finding that you have a 20% failure rate on a particular building, but your other buildings only have a 10% failure rate, then you need to know whether the composition of activities is different between the two locations. Because if you ask your people, they're going to say, well, yeah, we service it the same way. But if you look at the details, it's probably not the same technicians going out because of geographic location, because of a lot of other details. So how do you know that the, the building with the higher failure rate doesn't need new equipment versus the building with the lower failure rate? Maybe they suffer with some failures that they don't ever call you about. How do you know? Well, there are three factors. We talked about one already is that you've got to have dual measures or composite measures so that you're not just measuring the number of sales they make you're also measuring the number of qualified leads or the number of leads that make it all the way through the sales funnel <laughs> you might be measuring not the uh, number of products the customer buys but the number of repeat purchases within a time period that the customer has personally acknowledged you know not that they you know they're you're, you're auto charging their card but the customer has come back, and they bought something bigger, and they bought something bigger. It's called an escalation. Uh, the, the, the composite measure, I would like to have at least two measures in it. So it might be in the air conditioning units. It could be uh, the cost of the unit operation per the amount of runtime. It might be the number of service incidents over the duration or over certain types of uh, – Characteristics of the unit, so how many times are you out there replacing Freon or, or, or they cool it versus replacing a whole pump or motor. Uh, you could have a categorization in the categorization in the sales world because my specialty is sales and marketing. Um, while we can do business uh, process optimization in the, in the service side, if you don't have any customers in the service, then you're kind of screwed. Um, and he who has customers can always find someone to do the service. But here's the thing. If you have salespeople in the field, maybe one group's doing lead generation, another group is doing the sales function, and then a third group is doing the customer service, the follow-up function. Well, the people going out generating leads, they think they're doing a great job. They've got the volume of leads up. They're only being measured by the volume of leads, Uh, where a composite measure would include the volume of leads, the quality of the leads, how how soon do they turn to to a sale. Uh, what's the cost per lead? Uh, what's the uh, the ending cost per sale? Um, but instead, if you're just measuring the volume, then they're going to send all those leads over to the sales team. Now the sales team's going to bitch and moan that the leads aren't qualified and that the, basically anything the sales team bitches about, you should have been measuring the other team. But basically, the sales team's going to go bitch and moan that they can't convert. You know, uh, they're not making the sales they need, and if they're only being measured on sales. Then they might be tempted to push customers for products they don't need. Uh, they might be tempted to to load up somebody, you know. They might be tempted to get them in at a low ticket item and then immediately move them up a, a, an ascension ladder. Now these things can be okay and they can fit well, but what usually happens if a sales team is only measured on one thing is they're gonna they're just gonna they're just gonna make the money. They're gonna make the sales, get the commission, get out of there quick, burn and churn, burn and churn. And that then becomes a problem for your customer service team. Oh, you know what? These customers would be happier if these salespeople would stop lying to them just to make the sale. These customers would be a lot happier if the uh, you know those salespeople were not just uh, you know loading up this cheap product on them because the service contracts are good. You know, there, there's a lot of warning factor here. Is, but if customer service is only measured on satisfaction, then they're just gonna bitch and moan, just like the salespeople, just like the, the lead generation people. So what do we need? We need composite measures. The composite measures for for your salesperson might include the the time frame, because you're gonna have duration measures, you're gonna have quantity measures, you're gonna have dollar value measures, but you're gonna you're gonna number of, of sales converted in a certain time frame a number of customers, and you always want your composite measure to overlap your process. So basically, your measures in marketing are being validated by activity in sales. The measures in sales are being validated by measures in marketing. Now, that does mean that the the time frame extends in which you're measuring, Um, but I want you to think about it this way. If you're not getting what you want today, then maybe the measures you have are causing it rather than helping it. Where a comp- So a composite measure gives you multiple perspectives on the same part of your process, and those multiple perspectives are then scored, and that score tells you whether something's doing good so that no single measure can be pushed. So maybe a salesperson knows how to make the sales. And they're cranking sales through but they're not quality sales. And and so their sales number might be really high, but the quality measures of a customer would might be very low, and so those two factors will score themselves out and their overall score will be more appropriate for the behavior. So that's composite scoring. Now why do we do the composite scoring? Well, we do it because rather than uh, talking about top and bottom or or certain thresholds based on on counts, we in, instead use a sliding scale. So you've got a score, and it could be a quality score, it could be a, a some kind of composite score, and you're gonna make. We're gonna talk about the third item, which helps you. Um, helps your people understand the score because it is human behavior to try to, to game whatever you're, you're uh, measuring. So you, what we're really doing here is setting it up so that their gaming behavior improves outcomes rather than the gaming behavior improving scores or measures. But that score is then put on a sliding scale. You can use a quintile system. You can use uh, various types of sliding scales to tell you whether something is high in the scale or low in the scale, rather than waiting on a human to set the priority. So in the example of a, of a maintenance or repair situation, the air conditioning units, if the air conditioner goes down in the summer when it's 100 degrees outside, that is going to be a higher perceived severity than if the air conditioner goes out in the fall when the weather is moderate. Now, the, the factor of severity to the individuals involved the customer would have it as a very high severity if it's, super, if it's very hot outside. But the, from a technician's perspective, it's the same priority because it's the same repair. It's just happened at a different time. And as long as the materials are available, the repair could be easily done and everybody should be happy. However, uh, because of the criteria... And that's that's why we got to have the multi the multivariant measures the composite measures because your customers' criteria is varied but being able to to rank the priority of a problem using a system rather than using a you know opinion gives you the ability to compare results over time so if you say in a year we've had, Uh, 15 uh, Severity 1 items, we've had 50 Severity 2 items, we had 150 Severity 3 items, and uh, uh, 4, we had 1,000 Severity 4 items. Well, that has no context or meaning unless the underlying uh, descriptors or, or prioritization is established formulaically rather than by opinion. I hope this is making sense to you. I hope this is, you are understanding this because in the case of the air conditioners, for example, you'll have more SEV-1s in the hot temperature season than you will have for air conditioners. You'll have more SEV-1s in the top temperature seasons than you will have in the winter. But if you look at it as a year or a quarter, um, everything's skewed. And that's why, even when you evaluate, you've got to use multiple cr- criteria, like year over year. Um, you, you, the sliding scale helps with some of this because what will happen in a sliding scale is that the multi or composite measures build a score, and then the score is what's called normalized over time. And then you're just always working, if you're using a quintile, you're always working on the top quintile as high. The, the next quintile is, or critical as the top quintile, high is the next quintile, medium and low. And now you've got some characteristic that moves along the volume and moves along the, the variety in scoring. It, it, this really makes a difference. And you might be saying now, well, okay, so I got these multi-characteristic scoring. This sounds kind of complex. I've got this uh, sliding scale so that when I look at different seasons and periods of my business or my sales efforts or uh, I'm comparing my results against the industry or I'm comparing my results against an overall economy, that it's all going to make better sense. And better sense, what does better sense mean? Better sense means stronger cash flows a more uh, equitable allocation of resources so that you're allocating resources where you're growing the business versus just maintaining the business. It means that your staff utilization is much higher. All of these factors are critical. But what makes it easy to implement And they're not going to tell you about this because a lot of times the people producing the measures are not the people doing the work. So me as a consultant or an advisor coming in, I kind of just talk to everybody. I kind of go down the line and find out who's doing what. What kind of feedback do they have? I take the time to listen to their gripe sessions. And then I build out something from a higher level that takes care of the operational needs. It takes care of risk management needs and is focused on stakeholder outcomes. Because very often when your middle managers do these things, the middle managers just want to have a high score so they can get a bigger bonus. But then two years down the line, you find out they've been gaming the scores. So you were paying out bonuses not on results, but you were paying out bonuses based on scores. See, you can't go down to the bank as a business owner and say, well, we scored really good with the community. We got a little certificate that says that we are the number one uh, electoral contractor in the area. So therefore, we should have bigger check writing abilities. See, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> See, you can't get you know more money from the bank or lower expenses because you've got a good score. Because as I've described earlier, is the score doesn't equate with outcomes. So your customers can hate your guts, but your trade association just happened to have a sponsorship opportunity. I put my air quotes up. Sponsorship opportunity that made you the electrical contractor of the year. It made you the uh, technical services contractor of the year. And you you put that out in front of your customers, and you feel great. You're like, hot damn, my peers love me. But sales are going down and down and down because there's hidden problems that have been covered up by poor measures. And even worse, exaggerated by your employees gaming the system for short-term benefit. So how do you implement a composite measure that gives you greater perspective on what actually is happening? a composite measure that changes behavior because now the, the employee, the salesperson, the technician, the person who's doing customer service, the person who's doing the monitoring and management of your back office, the multiple observations has influenced several areas of their behavior, so now their default behavior is more in the direction of the desired outcome. This is very important. In order to implement what may seem as complex measures, complex but necessary because it influences the right behaviors, you want to use, and here's the third characteristic, you want to use checklists right below the measures. So that means you might have a measure for a salesperson, for example, that all leads are contacted within 24 hours of receipt. So the leads generated by one team, it goes into a computer system, the salesperson receives a notice, that salesperson is responsible to contact the lead within 24 hours. That's what they're being measured on. Now that's one of many measures They go together into a scorecard. It goes together into some sort of composite measure. There's different ways of doing it depending on your organization. But they know they need to contact the person within 24 hours. Well, how do they know? Well, you might have given them training when they first got there, and you said, hey, look, we like to contact people within 24 hours. Well, what's better, and this is where we do our business process optimization, this is how we squeeze out more dollars with fewer resources. Every lead who comes to your system walks down a specific funnel. Now, if you're just haphazardly letting your salespeople figure it out, then that's why you're probably having problems with measuring salespeople or finding the very best salespeople for your organization. And you might have a high turnover as a result of that. But if you want to have better retention, better conversion of investment into profits, so that means for every dollar you spend on sales, you're getting that money back quickly, Then you're going to use a checklist, and that checklist is tied to a specific step. So let's say that every salesperson prospects, presents, and closes. So the lead comes in, and that salesperson prospects that new lead. So it's a pre-qualified lead. They prospect it. That lead may have received certain literature in the mail, and it's up to the salesperson to follow up and, and set an appointment. It might be up to the salesperson to answer pre-sales questions. Um, in the case of industrial sales or commercial sales, you might have uh, some sort of bidding process that starts. Whatever it is, the prospect part of your sales funnel, and we have a whole program on um, profit patterns. This, this particular profit pattern is a beginning, middle, and end And it's kind of like a flow chart. So imagine one box says prospect, and then there's an arrow to another box in the middle that says present, and then another arrow to a third box that says close. Well, while they're in the prospect area, they're going to have this checklist of what they do. So uh, what's the first thing? They follow up within 24 hours. Well, what do they follow up with? Well, there's a a link to sales collateral that they can follow up with, sample letters. Uh, It's more than just saying... Give them a call and see what they're interested in. It's, hey, did you send a thank you note for them? So thank you for receiving the materials. I'm your representative assigned to this particular inquiry, and I want to make sure that you get everything you need to get involved with XYZ Company. And that handwritten thank you note goes out. And they look at their checklist, and the next thing on their checklist says um, that they need to make a phone call. Okay, great. So we're going to pick up a phone. We're going to make a phone call. And, well, what are they going to say on the phone call? So the checklist might have a sub-bullet. and says uh, you want to welcome them on board, make sure they don't have any questions. You want to offer them uh, something like a demonstration. You want to get them on a webinar. You want to make sure that you're a right fit. You know, the bullet points come down. And what happens is these checklists, which are tied directly to steps in a process, and those steps in a process are tied directly to composite measures, and those composite measures are tied specifically to a sliding scale, this is where the master of puppets or the master of the universe concept comes into play. Imagine in your office having threads of intelligence and outcomes Spawned all through your organization. Henry Ford was in a libel case because some folks called him an ignoramus. Okay, and uh, I'm not arguing the point one way or another, but he's in this court case, counter suing these people, or suing these people, and they counter him, and it was a huge mess. And they got him up on the stand, and they start asking him all these trivia questions, and they're asking him about how many you know, how big the the world is, how many people are in the United States. And they're asking him all these questions that he cannot answer. But Henry Ford was a master of the universe. He was a master definitely of his universe. And he leans over and he says to them, I don't need to be sitting here answering and I'm paraphrasing, I don't need to be sitting here answering these stupid questions when in my office all I gotta do is push my finger on a button and some some man will run into that office who can answer any of the questions that I might have. Now think about it. In your business, are you in a position where if you don't know the answer, you can just push a button. You can send a text message, you can pick up a phone, and someone will come running into your office with an accurate and specific answer to your question. Here's a big question that a lot of folks need answered. What is my cash flow today? What is my cash flow going to be in six months? I highly recommend a book called Never Run Out of Cash. A lot of you folks that are struggling with working capital and and getting paid today... For work that you did today, um, well, never run out of cash is a good point because you need to be able, as a leader, now if you just want to keep struggling, that's okay. You don't need to know this if you just want to struggle. But as a leader, you need to be able to say, what's our cash position today? You know, you can't just look in the bank account. A well-ran company is going to have many bank accounts. A well-ran company is going to have receivables. A well-ran company is going to have a debt obligations and other things that, that put pressure on what you might see in a bank balance. You want to be able to say, push the button, and try it. Call up your CPA and say, what's my cash position today? I'm thinking about uh, investing in the business and growing the organization. How much cash do I've got right now? They should have a number for you. How much cash will I have in six months? they never run out of cash book, Um Yeah, it has those two questions, and they found out that 97% of their prospective clients could not answer that question. But 100% of their clients can answer it because it's a critical question you need to be able to ask. And you might be saying, well, Justin, what does it have to do with performance measures? Where do you think the cash comes from? It comes from outcomes of your staff. Unfortunately, all your middle managers, all your individuals, you're doing performance reviews around things that are just measures measures are not outcomes they're just measures how long is my arm doesn't tell me whether or not i can reach the top of the cabinet to take something out now maybe it does maybe you're saying well justin you know yeah if i take into consideration how long your arm is and how tall you are i'll know whether you can pull something out of the cabinet well that doesn't mean a hill of beans if i can't get the damn if i never go get the damn thing out of the cabinet See, a lot of you guys are talking about measures here. It'd be really nice to know how many customers we had. You know, last year we've got uh, 30 new customers, but we only have 40 on the books. What the hell happened? Because the year before we had 30 new customers. That should be 60 customers. Where do the other customers go? I'd like to know. Yeah, that'd be interesting to know, Jim. And then a week later, you still don't fucking know. Okay? Let's get to the point here. Three things. Put you in a position to not just know what's going on in your business, but to be able to strategically orient the resources and effort of your organization to produce new outcomes. Number one is a du- at least a dual measure. okay? Because remember, we want measures that either conform behavior, change behavior, enhance behavior, that make your company better. These composite measures or, or, or multivariant measures make it more difficult for your team to game the measures. You know, like I said, if you just generate leads, any lead would do. But if that lead has got to close in a certain period of time, they've got to be within a certain characteristic, they've got to have a checklist of 20 characteristics to be qualified as a buyer, um, then that lead that comes in, you might get fewer of them. That's okay. But you're going to get more outcome from the leads and more results from the leads, and that will translate into greater free cash flow. The next point is a sliding scale because we know if you say, um, hey folks, actually I can equate this to the bell curve. You, You want to use a bell curve rather than just a main curve so you're going to measure your cash by increasing values that's a hard number we're not talking about the accounting of the business there are no flexible measures of accounting but there are flexible measures of, of human behavior as we apply that behavior towards specific outcomes so quintiles, sliding scale um, you know the the uh, the curve grading on a curve in a sense If you're grading on a curve, and when a prioritization grading on a... You can't do prioritization grading on a curve. You could do quality grading on a curve. But long story short, the measure moves with the behavior and tells you more about the outcome than just, oh, I scored a 50, and a 50 is good. Well, what the hell does a 50 mean? And finally, you use checklists at the process level and the, many of these checklists are going to evolve into procedurals. And this is, by the way, you start with a checklist. You don't spend three weeks trying to figure out the procedure for something. You say, hey, Jim, you're doing the job today. Make a list of the things that must be done for this job to come out satisfactory or of a quality that we expect. Jim will make his list. And then anytime you've got to replace Jim and put Joe in, Joe can look at the same list to get started. So it shortens your training window. These three things, I could go into. To, I could go in a, a, for a month. In fact, we got a whole program on how to get more from the resources you already have. And when I say more, I mean more cash flow, more uh, profits. More. And by the way, profits are—it's a measure of of um, what's left over after all your expenses. But cash flow tells you what actually went into your pocket. So if your wife wants to go on a vacation, you can't tell her, well, we have a 40% profit margin. You need No, no, you need to cut a check and go on the vacation. If you got a 40% profit margin tied up in a receivables that's aging about 240 days or 120 days, then you ain't got nothing. But we do have a whole program on this and a workshop series and stuff. And if you're interested in how to keep your staff from gaming the system, how to improve your usable cash flow, and how to, to be in a Masters of the Universe position where you can sit in your office or on the golf course or, or, or wherever you want to be and know what your company can or can't do. In fact, you can be sitting in front of a customer who's got a very large contract that you might not have considered before, but you can know exactly whether or not you can say yes to that opportunity. This is the preparedness that creates opportunities. This is the preparedness that keeps people from stealing from you. It keeps people from, from uh, screwing you over. Um, and it also works with vendors, too. If you've got subcontractors, uh, know, having these three characteristics in all of your measures helps you bring on a new subcontractor and say, Hey, subcontractor, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, let me see your procedurals for doing that. So that's a statement of work. So they give you the statement of work that describes what they're doing. You pick their brain about what's the approach, how are you going to do it, why are you doing it this way. Then you sign on the line that is dotted, and now you have a draft procedural for the next time that another contractor does it or your own team is going to do it. Uh, But the bottom line is you're now able to, from a distance, with fewer people, get a larger outcome, a more consistent outcome, and really amp up the implementation so if you've got questions about this or any other program we cover this is program m0223a so you just contact our office and, and mention the program code and i'll know that you've invested in this particular program and we'll answer all the questions that you have remember folks this is about outcomes it's the outcome of that produces the lifestyle. It's the outcome that that produces the the, uh, legacy of the business. Without that outcome, there's no cash flow to speak of and it's constantly putting out fires. If you're in a situation where you're suffering right now, where you don't know what your sales team's doing, where you're afraid you're going to be surprised by what your technicians are actually doing out in the field, if you're concerned about uh, you just haven't been able to grow the business, even though you're doing more work, then go back through this program. It is entirely possible that the performance scores that you're seeing, that the, the so-called measures that are coming out of the, the middle of your organization, that they are being gamed. It is human nature to game the system. And unless those measures are specifically designed in order to produce outcomes, like the work-in-progress reports. you know That's an outcome-producing report. It measures various criteria. But if the underlying factors are not measuring these three points, uh, composite measures, sliding scale, and uh, check use of checklists, then you're likely missing out. I'm Justin Hitt. This has been program M0223A. I'm here to help you create and keep profitable customers and turn every business relationship into profits guaranteed. We've just covered how to prevent uh, folks from gaming your metrics and uh, this is, is going to make all the difference to your business. I'm here to answer your questions. I'm happy to work with you folks. Uh, I do have very limited schedule, so please contact the office and ask them about availability. Ask them your questions, and we'll do our very best to get you some answers because it's results and outcomes that improve the economy for everybody. And it makes your dreams come through and helps you get the results. Again, I'm Justin Hit here to help you create and keep profitable customers and turn every business relationship into profits, guaranteed. Thanks for listening. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call